Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 320 of the Mom Hour. I am Sarah Powers, here as always with Megan Francis. Hey, Megan. Hi, Sarah. So today we have a fun topic on deck. We're talking about the day we never thought would arrive in various ways with our various kids over the years. Never thought I'd see the day that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Fill in the blank. And, you know, we hear from everybody a lot, actually, that one of the things you come to us for, you come to this show for is that we are a little farther ahead than a lot of you in motherhood. And and you get to hear us reflect back on the times that were really hard or the phases our kids went through that felt like they were never going to end. And so in a way, Megan, I feel like we've touched on some of these stories that we're going to share today about our own actual children. You know, periodically throughout our archives, we've told little anecdotes about this kid used to be really shy and now she's super outgoing or this kid was a wild toddler and now he's super chill. You've you've heard us say that, but today we're kind of really spotlighting these ways in which our kids surprised us in the way that their behaviors that were so intense in one way or the other when they were small have changed or flip-flopped or totally 180'd. Well, and I think this can be really reassuring because when you're in the thick of those times when one child's personality or behavior or just their tendencies in one way or the other is... Um, really particularly challenging, it really can start to feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Like that's just how it's going to be forever. And Sarah, we've talked a lot on the show about that muscle memory that you get like that reactive, um, like knee jerk, like, oh, this is going to be hard because this kid always throws a temper tantrum when we do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then one day you look at them and go, wow, they haven't done that in like a year now. So I Mm -hmm. guess now I have to readjust my expectations or the way I think about them. And yeah. Um, man, that's happened to me so many times as a parent. And it's made things that were such a drag when they were little, you know, get to be really kind of fun. But then it's almost like I have to retrain myself to yes. to not like shy back and 
and clench up and, you know, do all those things, but to just give it a to look at everything with like a fresh perspective um, and without those biases. So I think it's always just good to hear about other people's kids who've, I don't want to use the word outgrown to make it sound like all these things are something that needs to be outgrown, but for right. whatever reason have passed from one tendency to another. Um, yeah. And it kind of covers the gamut, really. It does. And let's be really honest that other people saying this too shall pass to you can be profoundly unhelpful and almost insulting if you're going right. through a really, really hard time. And I think, Megan, we try to walk that line between sometimes we do say to moms, this too shall pass. Like this is really something that won't last forever. But I always try to kind of honor also any mom's desire to tackle something that's not working in your family, a kid behavior that's really unhealthy or a relationship struggle between you and your kid or a couple of your kids and each other. Mm. I never want to say this too shall pass. Like you just should throw up your hands and wait. Um, so I think you and I exist kind of in that middle space of saying like, yeah, there, there are things that you can do and ways to cope and take care of yourself when you're in the middle of a hard phase. But today we truly are looking back and being like, holy moly, that did shall pass that what's the past tense of that? Like that sure did pass. And now that sure did pass. It. Yep. It's not quite as fancy sounding, but no. um, yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah, that sure did pass. Um, so we actually have actual stories of our specific combined eight kids to share today. But Megan, first, we're getting a lot of questions from our community about the roles that we're hiring for the fact that we're growing our team this summer. And so I thought we could just take a couple of minutes to give an update on that. So I can start um, just briefly for those who've been following closely, you know that we're hiring um, kind of a higher level position uh, that we're calling a content manager to oversee a lot of our big ideas about expanding our team and bringing on new voices to the blog and the podcast. And so we've been hard at work um, hiring that position and we are moving forward with a candidate we're really excited about for the content manager. Yeah. And that means we are still having to go through a lot of applications for the contributor roles and the ambassador roles. And I think that that's just going to roll out, not slowly, um, but we want to take our time as much as we can with it. We got a lot of applications. Um, so I guess what's, what's the takeaway here? Stay tuned, Sarah. Um, yes. We, you... we, we got your app. We are working on it. Um, you will hear from us at some point, um, but it's still underway. It is still underway. And I think I think we'll be able to share more soon. Um, for those who did have their hat in the ring for the content manager position, that position has been filled. Um, and the contributors, we had over 160 applications just for yes. contributors. Um, and, and we're looking for a handful. So um, we're so grateful for that. And there will be other ways to contribute or to maybe write a guest essay or something down the road. I don't feel like any door is particularly closed, but we hope to have that uh, contributor team narrowed down, I would say by the end of July and probably hearing more soon. So you're hearing this the yeah. first week of July. Um, and we just wanted to kind of give an update. The ambassador team is really the, the most wide open opportunity for anybody who wants to be involved. And that probably the opportunities for that will, will probably, I, I would say not kick off even until fall. And yeah. it's a very at will like jump in if you, if you can help or, it might be the kind of thing where we say, hey, from our ambassadors, we're looking for pregnant moms because we have this opportunity. And so it'll be a very like, um, what am I trying to say? Like, like a dynamic, you'll be able to yeah. respond when there are opportunities and that'll be ongoing. So I hope exactly. that provides a little more, a little more clarity. 
Yeah. And, and just keep in mind that this is new for us too. And um, like you said, Sarah, that like no doors have been closed. It's more that we got to start somewhere uh, as we're building. And so we're trying to keep it as finite as we can for now, realizing that it will be dynamic and that we will be like, oh, this, this would be a great thing to have. And maybe we would really love a guest essay on this topic. And mm -hmm. um, so there could be opportunities that come up that we don't even see right now. Absolutely. Sarah, we both know this time of year can be crazy. So this is a great time to get ahead with no prep, no mess meals from our sponsor, Factor. I love how these meals are ready to eat and delivered right to your door. I mean, you can't beat that convenience, but most importantly, they're seriously delicious. Yeah, Megan, I agree. Our whole family was impressed with the quality and flavor of Factor meals we tried. And it turned out to be a great option for my teenagers when they got home late from a theater practice or came home from school super hungry. There's zero prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Factor meals just need to be heated for about two minutes and they're ready to go. Yeah. And for any listeners with wellness goals this month, Factor has six menu preferences to support your lifestyle, whether you're trying to boost your protein, avoiding meat, or simply focusing on well-balanced meals. And you can pause or reschedule deliveries to fit your lifestyle. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. Head to factormeals.com slash momhour50 and use code momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code momhour50 at factormeals.com slash momhour50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Okay, Megan, like many of our listeners, I'm sure I've been doing some spring cleaning in my closet lately, and it always feels so good to get rid of clothes I'm not wearing, things that don't fit or that aren't my style anymore. But you know what I realized? All of my Vionic shoes are always in the keep pile. They just tick all the boxes. They're cute, comfy, high quality. They last forever. And I love growing my Vionic collection, especially with the latest styles from their Vionic Vitals collection. The Vionic Vitals collection offers daily wear styles designed for elegance, comfort, and versatility. We both love the Uptown Loafer, which collapses flat, so it's perfect for travel. The Chardonnay Heeled Sandal, which I know you love, Sarah. The Walk 23 Classic Sneaker, which our team member Katie gets compliments on all the time. And the Willa Slip-On Flat, one of my favorites, which comes in 12 colors for any outfit. Yeah, I need to uh, get the Willa Slip-On Flat. That's next on my list. Well, listeners, if you're ready to try the shoes we're always raving about, use code THEMOMHOUR15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Bionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Okay, Sarah. So we are talking about all the times we said, I never thought I'd see the day. And I just love, I love that saying because it sounds like an old movie or something and usually yeah. sounds very negative. Like I never <laughs> thought I'd see the day that my own son would disappoint me so heartily. But most of our stories are positive. So yeah. I know you've got a great one to start with. Yeah, this is actually was the the light bulb moment for this episode. And it was a few days ago. And um, for those who are newer, um, I have three kids. My second and third child are two years and eight months apart, like just a little over two and a half years apart. Um, Reed right now is 11 and Violet is eight and a half. And um, I was kind of in the kitchen puttering around and Allegra has been doing my oldest has been doing either a day camp or she's actually away at sleepaway camp. So so far this summer, the younger two have had a lot of time together at home. And as they did in the pandemic, actually, and I was just kind of listening to them. And I just had this like this like record scratch moment where I was like, 
these two can play together on for hours on hours on hours and they'll they will have little scuffles for sure but it's like a 90-10 situation and the way they play is so collaborative and so creative and so funny they're truly like best pals and i had this moment where i was like i would never have thought i would ever see this day i mean i i would have thought they'd grow out of maybe they're really aggravating mm. kind of oil and water, but I wouldn't have thought they would be best friends. Um, and they are right now. And I know that won't last forever because Reed is, you know, he's approaching tween preteen years. And I know that in a year or two, they'll be in a different stage, but they're in this sweet spot right now. And just to give you a picture, when they were maybe 18 months and four was probably a really dark time. Reed was a very intense preschooler. So at four, he was rigid. He had meltdowns. He didn't like when things didn't go his way. He was inflexible. That may come back later in this episode. Um, he went from zero to 100 with his um, anger and Violet was a busy, busy toddler. She um, is and was, and many of you are nodding along. You've heard these stories. She's physically uh, physically impulsive. She's my most physical kid. So she was running, climbing, jumping, um, knocking things over. But she also was emotionally uh, sharp and like emotionally manipulative. And mm. on top of that, so she was like, she was she'd uh, push buttons. She was a button pusher intentionally. She was physically rambunctious. And on top of that, she's sensitive. She gets her feelings mm -hmm. hurt easily. So to be both the the wild one and the aggressor and the button pusher, but then also to be the most emotionally sensitive and reactive, um, like especially sensitive to things like being left out or someone not wanting to play with you. And I remember on this show, Megan, like us talking about this and you being like, yeah, that's really hard. If you're the one that's like, that's like dropping a match and lighting right. the you're bridge on fire. You're starting it and then wanting everyone to feel sorry and for then, you. Exactly. <laughs> right. And so that was my life. And, and that I, I'm going to say 18 months and four was really like when it was so hard for me, but probably at two and a half and five and three and a half and six, I would say all of those, those years they just, the personalities were oil and water and the way that they, I just had to constantly intervene and really just like triage, just keep her out of his business. Cause he couldn't stand it. If like a Lego was out of place. So there was no, there was no playing together. It was like how to prevent tears and meltdowns all the time. And she was always left out and always had her feelings hurt and was retaliating. She was a, like a, she was a revenge like wrecker, like we called her a home wrecker because she'd go through and like take out something on purpose because she was mad. She'd rip up other people's art. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little extreme to tell you all that I know what it's like to have a toddler like that. And then to have the reactive older sibling be really not at all go with the flow about it, like not at all understanding and not at all emotionally mature. Um, and that was a very hard com combination for a number of years. And then, you know, the transition's been kind of gradual. They've they've actually been good playmates for a couple years now. But what I'm seeing is the play maturing. And and truly the pandemic, the the time at home was what really solidified it. They can play the same games. They still like the same movies. They um they think they they like the same humor. They do creative projects together. Mm -hmm. So I never thought I would see that day. And I thought I'd kind of paint the picture a little bit of, of just how an, uh, how extreme the about face has been with those two. Well, I love that. And there are, there are duos in my family, not in my kids necessarily to that degree, but, um, another family that we spend a lot of time with who is related to me. I just, I don't want to like call out anyone's <laughs> kids. There is a, a duo that are quite 
similar, especially with the homewrecker. Yeah. Um, yeah. And when you have an older sibling who just doesn't either because they can't because they're, you know, they're dealing with their own like inflexibility or, um, way of seeing the world or whatever, or interacting in the world, or if they're just irritated like all the time with the younger one and don't want to deal with them it can create, you're always in that, like walking on eggshells. Yes stage and like never really like you said it's like you're always playing defense but like you're playing defense to more than one person yes yes no one's on your team ever (laughs) yeah it could be really hard so that makes me really happy and you know I think they do say sometimes like the oil and water can be the ones that get along the best in the end it's like they fight and fight and fight and then maybe they get past whatever the thing is that made them fight and now that makes them love each other and not just be indifferent to each other which is another thing that often happens and is normal too, but yeah. Uh, well, um, so my first one is about Clara, sweet Clara, when she was little, this is such a common thing. She was, you know, I've got five kids. They all at one point were very attached to me, but Clara was truly my mini me. She was the only girl. She was, um, the youngest and the youngest of an odd number of kids. So there was really nobody for her to like link right up with. And then even the spacing between her and the next oldest was a little bit bigger than the spacing between the boys. So the boys were like around two years apart. Then there was like a three and a half year gap, then two years, then three and a half years, then Clara. Well, there was no one coming up two years later to be Clara's, you know, little shadow. So she became and stayed my little shadow for a really long time. And I remember thinking like, this girl will never want to be apart from me ever. Um, in fact, when, when, um, her dad and I divorced, like there were negotiations constantly about whether she could spend a night in my bed, which night it was going to be, we'd have it all mapped out ahead of time. And like, which night, cause I would just think, oh man, like I would really like to have some space and some time, but I also realized that she was needing a little more and I was fine with having her crawl in my bed every now and then it just had to be like kind of on my terms a little bit. So yeah. we even had like a little schedule mapped out. It was very and she always wanted to go to the store with me. She always wanted, everywhere I went, she wanted to be. And then suddenly she just didn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And I would say it's all been within like the last year where suddenly um, she'll just disappear for a long time into her bedroom and I won't see her or hear from her. Um, she really enjoys having her own space. And she's always been a bit of a uh, homebody, but it used to be her version of being an introvert was being introverted touching me. So- <laughs> Like she would, she didn't want to hang out with her cousins necessarily. She didn't want to be at like a party or like doing a big thing with a bunch of people, but she still didn't want to be more than a couple of feet away from me. And that's really, that's really changed. And it's bittersweet. Like, it's nice to know that like, I can leave the house without someone going, well, where where are you going? When are you going to be back? You know, like really kind of that anxiety level about me exiting the house for five minutes. Yeah. That's really eased up and that, that is a relief. But then sometimes I'm like, but don't you ever want to hang out with me? I'm going to the store. Don't you want to come? Like, do you want to do anything with me? And she still will. It's just that she doesn't seem to need it. Um, and so that's, it's like, that is one of those bittersweet parenting moments. It's like, you want it for so long. You just want the space and you finally get it. And you're like, oh, I got the space. And then you're like, but wait, wait, doesn't anybody want to hang out with me? What happened? Yeah. Okay. So this is a side note, but I have started watching TikTok videos on occasion. And there is one of Tina Fey giving an interview on Jimmy Fallon talking about moms with their teenage daughters and how it's like an office crush because you just kind of hope you'll see them 
you'll run into them in the hallway and you're like, um, we're going to be having dinner. I don't know if you want to join us. It was so funny, but it reminded me of that. It's like, are you ever going to want to hang out with me again? Like now we're hoping right, they will right. grace us with their presence. So, so funny. Right. Yeah. And it really, it happens at different times. And I would say to different levels with all the kids. And it's definitely not like an extreme. It's not like I'm picking up on like a teenage, ugh, mom, I don't want to be around you. Cause I've had that with my other kids. And so I, I know what that looks like. It's more just like, I'm not as necessary. Not as needed anymore. Yeah. Not as needed. Not at least not. I am of course, but it, it's just not as evident that I'm needed and it's not as emergent or urgent yeah. all the time. So yeah. yeah, I love it. Okay. Well, my next one is about Allegra who's 13 now. Um, and this is one where I feel like the transformation happened really, um, rapidly when she was about six. And so now that I know she's 13 and when I look back in my mind, it was like truly an overnight transformation. And of course we know that's not really how it is, but Allegra was an extremely cautious baby toddler and preschooler. And I've talked about it. She had pretty extreme, um, like stranger aversion, like didn't want anyone to hold her. Um, as a toddler, she wouldn't go even to grandparents if she, if we didn't see them for a few months. So super clingy. She was also like terrified of new experiences like the swim lessons and the dance class and and the first haircut and the pediatrician terrified of doctor visits. I mean, a lot of you listening are like, yep, yep, yep. But this is pretty common. I would say she was um, on the on the more extreme version of that. Um, I, a couple memories. One time I took her to Sesame Street Live because I got free tickets. I was like starting to be like a mom blogger locally and I got tickets and I felt so cool to be like. I don't know, going as part of like a, a media event mm. to uh, to um, Sesame Street Live. And she peed in her pants when she was like three. And she was not a potty accident kid because just the largeness of the characters on stage frightened her. And it was mm. Sesame Street. It was meant for preschoolers. Right. Um, for we, little we children. To, yeah. Yes. We went to another play and there was a bunch of uh, four preschoolers, a preschool like theater thing. And there was a bunch of kind of slapstick, like people falling down. And she was terrified. She thought they were really hurt. So there, it, a lot of preschoolers are cautious about new experiences. Hers was almost like everything was heightened to where everything was upsetting to her until she was probably mm. three or four. Preschool started to mellow out. But in preschool, she, she was preschool and kindergarten. She was very afraid of anyone in authority. And so this is funny. Like she was terrified of police officers. And like she had a little soccer coach who was really encouraging, but he would yell in kind of a booming voice because just so the kids could hear him. She uh -huh. was terrified of that. Um, in kindergarten, she was chosen for student of the week. And the prize was to have lunch with the principal with a bunch of other kids. And she came home. No, oh, no, devastated. she didn't want to do she it. <laughs> yeah. She was afraid of the principal. Oh, my gosh. So I guess, again, all this to kind of paint the picture. And I kid you not, by six or seven, uh, this kid, it's like she shed it like an armor, like a like a coat of armor that was so sensitive to anything she perceived as new, scary, um, anything. And, and it was like she came out of that and never looked back. She is not ever afraid to try new things. She's currently at a sleepaway camp where she knows no one. She did um, like a junior counselor thing the last two weeks where she knew no one and had to be in charge of little kids. But she's 13 now. I'm going back to even age like six, seven, eight. It was so remarkable, the transformation that it never showed up again. And I don't know if anyone else listening has had a kid with that, that 
dramatic and about face, but it makes me really glad that I just kind of like waited it out. I didn't, I didn't worry too much about it. It was hard for me as a mom sometimes, like my kid wouldn't do the things that other kids would do, but I kid you not like first grade, I'm going to call it first grade. It was like, she stepped away from that and has never been that way ever since. Well, and it, it also sounds like you didn't like push her toward doing something she wasn't ready for. So she got to feel very safe in her version of what she was able to do. Yep. Which was different from maybe what you wanted would have liked for her to do. Right. But like eventually she felt secure enough to venture out and it sounds like all at once, which is kind of crazy and probably not the way it always happens, but (laughs) you know, yeah, no, I definitely didn't. I didn't force anything except maybe pediatrician well visits preschool drop off. Like I did had dropped her off at preschool. Um, but that's about it. Like, yeah, we wouldn't have done many elective experiences except for like that Sesame street live that I didn't know was going to be so traumatic for my preschooler to see giant Grover. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, um, I, I, I love this kind of like blossoming that's kind of coming through in different ways, right? Like there's like the sibling relationship blossoming. There's Clara kind of figuring out how to be on her own. There's Allegra figuring out how to not be afraid of the world. And then my next one is kind of along those same lines. So this is Will. And Will's been always like been a hard kid to kind of describe. He's always been very, like I've said, very reliable, very like just like the kid you can count on for stuff, funny, um, personable, you know, quick-witted, all that stuff. But I would say he always struck me as the kind of kid who was going to be shy in high school or not. I don't even know if shy is the right word. Just a little bit of an awkward duck out of water kind uh-huh. of. Like, I remember actually he used to kind of run like a duck. Like I remember watching him run when he was like seven or eight years old and like his his feet, like he had duck feet. They like, mm-hmm. they went out and so much that I was like, man, I wonder if I should take him. This was at the age when, kids weren't going to the doctor every like six months anymore. Right. Yeah. You took them in for their physicals and things like that. And I remember thinking like, man, maybe he needs to be checked out because his gait is so weird. He runs weird. And like thinking, man, is this kid going to go into high school and just be struggling? And yeah. actually he really came into ninth grade. It's almost like he just decided, um, I'm going to make this, like I am going to take this by storm. So he started a band in ninth grade had some really, really painful fallouts with his friends in ninth grade. Um, like the group he'd hung out with, um, all through elementary school and middle school, then ended up just going and finding a new group, like just went and found himself some new friends, which is hard to do at that age. Um, joined the swim team. He wasn't, he wasn't the best, but like got a lot better swam for two seasons. Now is getting to the point now where I think he's pretty decent. Like he's, He's just very confident and he just mm-hmm. kind of came into his own. He's got a wide range of friends. He seems very um, like mature in the way he handles his friendships in that mm-hmm. he has like lots of friends from many different kinds of groups and he really won't tolerate any, which I think is actually what led to some of the falling outs with his ninth grade friend or friends in ninth grade was that he wouldn't really tolerate any clickiness in his friend group mm-hmm. or like any expectation that he would only hang out with like this group he wanted to hang out with who he wanted to hang out with. He's just very much a leader now. Um, and that's so cool to see. And it's not something I would have seen when he was like the youngest, like the third youngest of four boys, kind of the tag along to his older brothers always seemed like he was just trying to keep up and like be cool with them. I wouldn't have seen him stepping out so 
boldly on his own and being such a leader. And he really is like he went and got a job at this restaurant and he brought a bunch of friends along with him. And now like four of his friends and his cousin work there. Like, oh, I love he's it. the one who organizes like game nights and he organizes, he kind of keeps the family organized. Like he really, he just really is a leader. Um, Do you think he's an Enneagram seven? Probably <laughs> something like that. Or maybe an eight, honestly, mm, but I don't yeah. know. Like he's not, he, he doesn't have some of those, some of those, um, Eight kind of, I don't know. I like, I think it would be actually fun to try to diagnose our kids in the Enneagram, but right now, especially like, the older ones. Cause they always yeah. say like, it's not really, you're not, we can't really do it with kids. Cause some of it, a lot of it's like kind of formed with your childhood right. mm-hmm. experiences and all that. But I would think with a 17 year old, you could start to, you could start to peg him if you wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think it's, it's not like he, he's not the most amazing student. He's not the most amazing musician. He's not the most amazing athlete, but he's a leader, everything he decides to do. And that's just kind of fun to see. Um, and not something, I don't think at his age, I was that. I think yeah. I've kind of grown into some of that in my adult years, but like at his age, no way I was not as, um, I didn't have as much direction in life. And I feel like he kind of goes into every situation, figuring out how to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. And I admire that. So I love that. I love it so much. Okay, Megan. Well, over here at the Mom Hour, we are big fans of our sponsor, Our Place. In fact, you, me, and our team member, Katie, were all comparing notes on our favorite product. Katie was telling us that even though she's packing up to move her family to a new house, she cannot put that mini perfect pot from Our Place into the boxes yet because she's using it like every night. Well, as someone who also has a perfect pot, I got mine as part of their mini home cook duo set. I get it. It's nonstick, which is key, but it also has all these handy features like a steam release lid with a built-in strainer and this nice beechwood spoon that nests on the handle in this perfect little peg. Okay, well, I didn't get this pot, but now I want it. That sounds so great. Our Place's cookware is great to cook with, beautiful to look at, and healthier for us as well. All of Our Place's products are made without PFAS, also known as Forever Chemicals. In addition to their cookware and tableware, Our Place is also making waves with their Wonder Oven, the most stylish all-in-one air fryer and toaster oven. Again, free from the forever chemicals found in many of those air fryers. Listeners, Our Place offers a 100-day trial with free shipping and returns, and we've got a great deal for you. Go to fromourplace.com and enter the code MOMHOUR at checkout to receive 10% off site-wide. That's from our O-U-R place.com code MOMHOUR. We are welcoming back Ritual as a sponsor today. Megan, we both try to make healthy choices, but you know, sometimes it's tricky to sort through fact and fiction when it comes to supplements and vitamins to figure out just what they're doing for us. That's why I'm glad Ritual keeps studying their products and sharing the results, especially as it relates to women, since women are the focus of all Ritual's products, including the Essential for Women 18 Plus Multivitamin. And the results are super reassuring. Just as an example, Ritual conducted a university-led clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin, and it was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin is made with high-quality and traceable key nutrients in clean, bioavailable forms with nine key nutrients in two capsules per day. Plus, they are leading the industry when it comes to sustainability. They use lower carbon packaging and prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients. That kind of thoughtfulness really matters to me. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. 
Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash the mom hour. Start Ritual or add the Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash the mom hour for 25% off. All right. So, Megan, as you mentioned before the break, longtime listeners have heard some of this, but I think it's always worth revisiting. So, talk a little bit about another never thought I'd never thought the day would come um, situation yeah. with one of your kids. Okay. So, Isaac is 21. He's my second. Um, when he was born, he so Jacob is almost two years older than him, and Jacob was always like an easygoing, sweet, but very sensitive little guy, like uh, cautious on playgrounds, um, didn't want to hurt anybody, didn't want to get hurt, you know, just very like just cautious and sweet and easygoing, but not but not actually easygoing. Easygoing is the wrong word, like eager to please, mm-hmm. um, eager to do well and to do right, but like not actually chill on his yeah. own either. But then Isaac came in. I think he just summed up the situation and was like, what can I do to stick out? And what he did was turn into a total just raving banshee. I mean, this kid, I, I just look back and think how, first of all, I was so confused by the whole thing because this was my second baby. And the first one was so easy that then I kind of thought, oh, I must be really good at this or whatever. I'm just a natural. And then I had Isaac and he cried all the time and he not just cry, but like screamed. And if you touched him wrong, he screamed. If you looked at him wrong, he screamed. Um, he had to be held. He, he didn't sleep. He slept terribly. He was just really hard. And then the older he got, he was very, very verbal and very physical. I want to say he's the only ones, only one of my kids who was both extremely physical and extremely verbal from a very young age, which is different. Like I've had ones yeah. that were one or the other, but he was both. And he was just a terror for like four, four years. I'm going to say like from the age of like, you know, from the time he took his first step, maybe at like 11 months, 10 months, 11 months, he was pretty early. And up until like second grade, it was just constant. He got kicked out of karate. He like, they told us not to come back was one of those situations. He would run up to other kids on the playground and shove them down he threw a chair at me. He would hide at Target and swear. Like he'd hide under <laughs> racks of clothing and swear out loud. And so he'd know that I was looking for him and he thought it was hilarious. And then he was really little. Like he was too little to be so diabolical. Um, he did end up going to um, a parochial school where they let him stand at his desk and bounce up and down, which I think I still look at that teacher and think, you know, what a blessing she was because she's like, yeah. you know, he just doesn't really like to sit. So I'm just going to let him stand. And so for two years, she had him for two years and he stood the whole time and bounced. Um, and at some point I looked at him and was like, wait, what happened to Isaac? He's super, super calm now. And I think it was a gradual ramp down. But even when it's gradual, when it goes from like that over the top to like even what looks kind of normal it felt like he had just become the most chill kid. And then by the time he was like in high school, he was actually very quiet and uh, reserved and would spend mm-hmm. hours and hours in his bedroom playing guitar alone. And now he comes and visits like every weekend and he's just like the most quiet and I don't know, sweet and nice and reserved young man. It's bizarre. I don't know what happened to that wild child. Where did it go? Yeah. Where'd all that energy go? But it, 
I never thought I was like, this kid is going to be in jail. He's going to be in yeah. juvenile because <laughs> there's so much energy and he doesn't care about his body. Like he would yeah. throw himself off of things. And like, he just, he was never a climber and he wasn't necessarily like, well, that's not true. He did climb things, but he wasn't like one of those kids who like scales every bookshelf. He did. Mm-hmm. He got himself into a couple pickles, but it wasn't as bad as I've seen. It was more like no impulse control. Um, if he decided he was going to punish you for something like you talked about with Violet, yeah. the punishment was well thought out and very deep. And he was just a stinker. Like he was always looking for ways to mess something up. Yeah. Yeah. When he did get older, he had a couple like fourth, fifth grade. He did have a couple teachers who didn't appreciate his sense of humor, which I think he would try to sometimes use in class inappropriately. Mm-hmm. Um, so he kind of ran into a little bit of trouble there, but it was so much less, it was so much less than it had been. I think that that is one of those really extreme examples of a kid who started off one very distinct way and then is became almost unrecognizable in the other direction. And I wonder sometimes where that essence of young Isaac went. I'm sure it's buried somewhere. It's in there somewhere, but it just got channeled in a different way. And I think that that's really common with um, really like kids who are kind of like, advanced in some way or like really like really verbal really physical really smart whatever it is it's like his little body just didn't know what to do with it well yeah and I was thinking about the Allegra example because these are the two so far that we've shared where the transformation isn't just like outgrowing a phase but like truly a pretty pretty like 180 about face and in both their cases like I have so much empathy for their little selves the world was not like made for them to experience in a way that was comfortable for them. Right. Right. Like, so it was uncomfortable. Like Isaac had more energy than could be contained by the rules that exist in the world for preschoolers. And for Allegra, the world was too scary. There was too many Mm -hmm. big, like loud people dressed as Grover or whatever. So I think in both their cases, (laughs) which does sound terrifying now that, now that you mention it. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, so I think it, I'm, it seems like almost they had to get to a point where they had the maturity and the coping skills and just the, the toolbox to help them like deal with the world almost. And I think there's so many kids, including kids who really are like neurodiverse in some way and maybe have some kind of diagnosis where that it's like, it's, they are beautiful little souls. The world is just not like, fit for them, especially in those right. intense young years. And the world has no interest in catering to them, really. It's it's exactly. not for that. Yeah. 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 I love it. Well, um, if you are a new listener around here and that was your first time hearing about Sweet Isaac, um, you may not know that the meme that circles around the internet that is the mom marching away, carrying um, a tantruming three-year-old under her arm, surfboard style or whatever else people call it on the internet that's Megan with Isaac. And that picture is Megan's and was taken, I think. Okay. I think it's like 18 years ago. No, like 17 years ago, something like that. It was when, let's see, I was pregnant with Will. So it right. would have been 18. 18. Yeah, yeah. It would have been 18 years ago, like next week. Yeah. Um, yes. And the, the picture has gone viral on the internet and been scooped up by other people and memed. And again, most of you already know this, but in case you don't, like we've tried to we've tried to even take control of it and be like, oh, wait, that's Megan. Like and, and the memes that people put on it are not Megan's words. It's not com- it's not from the mom hour. It's not from Megan Francis. It's right. people finding that picture. And, and then sometimes 
people like well-meaningly will after the fact realize that it's us and then they'll try to credit us. I'm like, no, please don't put my, please don't put the mom hour on this crappy meme. <laughs> so yeah. it's kind of like, we've just decided it's fine. Like it's out there. There's nothing we could do now. I can't put it back in the, in the, the genie back in the bottle, but yeah, like we had written about it. I had posted it to our Facebook page like seven years ago, a long time Eight, ago, maybe. Yeah. Eight years ago. And then it, it got, it blew up and then it went away for a really long time. It, it went quiet. And then like about two years ago, suddenly popped back up, like weirdly cropped with um some kind of like the state, the caption was something like, if you haven't carried your kids surfboard style, you aren't really parenting. And then that kind of blew up for a little while. Then that went away. Then a new one popped up and said something else of like every mom has done this or whatever. And it's kind of like, I find it amusing now. And I don't really care, but for a while I was a little irritated. So yeah, it's, I I mean, I would be, it's not me and my kid, but I can totally relate to being irritated. We made a little behind the scenes video when it, when it re blew up, when it re went viral, like two and a half years ago, we made um, a video with you talking about it. And um, it's really cool, actually. I mean, you and I just made the video together, but if anyone's curious about the backstory, you talk about what Isaac is like today, you know, as an adult and like how he went through that phase. So I'll link up. I'll, if you haven't seen the viral photo, we'll link that up. But also I, I would love if people watch the video because it does give the whole, this whole context we're talking about, which is you don't know when you're in that moment with your screaming three-year-old, you it, it's not going to last forever, I think is what right. you say in the yep. video. And you don't really know what's on the other side. So. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, my next one has some similarities and differences to what you talked about with Clara. So Violet um, is my youngest and is also very attached to me. We've been bonded, but her bigger, more than being attached to me, Violet's bigger issue was not being able to play by herself at all or really do anything independently. And, And some of it was about me, but actually she was quite happy being included in sibling play having play dates, her biggest like driving need as a person is like the, whatever the opposite of FOMO is like she, she has mm. FOMO all the time about life. And it's, I, it's so funny cause I don't. And so it's really hard for me to relate to, but she always feels like there is something more fun happening that she wants to be a part of. And when I described her and Reed's relationship that had its own unique makeup because of their personalities. But in general, she was afraid of being left out and wanted to be included and really because of that, never learned to amuse herself independently for any amount of time. And it was really hard on me because there were years where she was in part-time preschool or home with me and the kids were at school. But even I'm talking even ages five and six, when you would think like, here, just go like, why don't you color while I clean the kitchen? Even that felt like a separation, like there must be something more going on. She would never got into reading independently, um, didn't like to spend time in her room. And it was so opposite from how I was as a kid that I eventually gave up, honestly. Like people in our Facebook group will be like, how do I get my three and a half year old to play independently for a few minutes? I'm like, how do I get my seven year old to play independently? I have no idea. So that's kind of the background and very personality driven for her because love is very social, loves to be included. Um, And I just have noticed in the last, this is very recent, probably in the last six months, she's eight and a half, um, that she will sometimes be in her room journaling. She's big into writing. So she'll Mm -hmm. write in her journal or she'll make like 
lists and plans. She's always like hatching some idea, but she'll be in there happily. And what's funny is I'm so trained. You talked at the beginning of the episode about how we 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 are we get trained and it's so hard for us to unlearn these patterns with our kids that my old assumption is that Violet's only by herself in her room for one of two reasons. And this is how it was for years and years and years. Reason number one is she had rage quit something and gone in and slammed the door because someone had hurt her feelings. And sometimes that would happen unbeknownst to me. And I'd be like, it'd be, you know, some time would go by. I'd be like, oh, where's Violet? And the kids would be like, oh, she got mad. (laughs) And so that would be reason number one. Reason number two was she was a stealth napper. She would still try to take naps when she was five and even six years old um, because she goes so hard at life. And so she'd sneak off and fall asleep. And I didn't like that either because... Um, it would mess up bedtime. So the only two reasons she was ever in her room by herself were that she was mad or she'd fallen asleep. And just in the last six months, she'll be in there drawing, listening to an audiobook. Re- uh, not she's still not a big independent reader, but she will listen to an audiobook. She'll draw, she'll write, she'll putter around, she'll decorate her room. And um, she's just in general much more okay with me saying, you know, okay, you need to do something by yourself for a few minutes because da 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 da. It used to be that I had, if it wasn't going to be me playing with her, I had to line up something else. Like I had to ask one of the siblings to please play with her for even an increment of five or ten minutes, and and no more. So it's, it's like she's a baby who finally learned how to self soothe, but yeah. it just took her a really long time, and yeah. that's kind of how it goes sometimes, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and again, I have a, a niece that's very similar oh. to Violet and <laughs> down to, you know, hearing from her mom about how, you know, she'll just get, if we're out, she'll get texts like, I'm so bored. What do I do? Who, yeah. who can I play with? Yes. That's the other thing. Who, is there anyone you can get me to play with? Now, yes. the great thing about a kid like that is they'll play with anybody Yes. because anybody's better than nobody. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so you may find that Violet ends up in her new school, just having like this ragtag bunch of kids who just love her because yep. she'll love them. Yep. For she their, want, she wants for their the value party. in being yeah. someone to play with. Yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, right. well, this is kind of along the same lines of the self-soothing analogy, I guess. Um, but not exactly. Um, you know, how I, I mentioned before that Isaac was a bad sleeper, but I believe Owen took the cake. Like he was <laughs> awful and awful in different ways throughout babyhood and childhood. So when he was really, really little, he just wanted to eat all the time and um, nurse all the time and didn't, he was one of those twitchy babies. You know how when babies like startle when you lay them down, Yes. but his startle reflex was so ridiculous. And so, and like swaddling also made him mad mm-hmm. and like bumping his foot against something when he was about to fall asleep would send him into like screams of rage. Oh. Like he was just very, very sensitive. And so that was when he was really, really little. Then he got older, seemed to be getting kind of better, then did night terrors for like yes, a year and a half, two years, this. long time. Then when he got a little older, the night terrors went away, but then he just had a lot of nighttime fears and mm-hmm. would come stand by my bed and stare at me at, mm-hmm. and wake me up out of a dead sleep staring at me or end up sleeping next to my bed. I can still just remember the way his little face would look when he was trying to hold back like tears and, oh. you know, just like, he just did, he, he was just very sensitive and just didn't want to sleep and blah, blah, blah. So then we kind of went through a phase where he would go to sleep on his own just fine. He had a, um, he had a, he room shared all the way through, let's see, into eighth grade, which I think was good for him. He, it was helpful to him to have mm-hmm. a, a friend in the bedroom with him, but he, 
was really, really bad in sixth, seventh, eighth grade about waking up in the morning. Really, really bad. So it was just like it went from one thing to the next to the next. And now in the last year, so basically since uh, second half of eighth grade and all through ninth grade, he's been great about regulating his sleep, like putting himself to bed when he's ready. He doesn't stay up too late. He gets himself up in the morning. There's been very few times in the last year and a half or so that he's slept in. He just doesn't. He, for whatever reason, has figured it out. Now, when he was like in fifth and sixth grade was when I was doing radio. And I remember a couple of times having, telling him, and this made me feel terrible, but this is when I was doing a morning radio show. So I had to get him to school on time because, or sorry, he had to get the bus. Yeah. If he missed the bus, it threw everything into a tailspin because then I couldn't get to the station. Yeah. Because how was he going to get to school? You know, so it was like, I remember saying like my whole morning is wrecked because I couldn't get you up. And like, that can't happen anymore. And he just outgrew it. Um, and now is great. And it's so funny to look at that and say, like, what were the factors that changed? I do think that there is something about middle school aged kids where it's just very normal for them to be really bad at waking up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And with all of my kids, it's gotten better in high school. So just putting that out there. Um, Clara right now is the worst in the morning. Like I have to hold her hands and help her sit up. On the edge of the bed and then sit there and say, okay, are you really awake? And she'll say, "Uh uh-huh. And then if I go out of the room and come back, she's asleep again. So it has to be like, I have to physically like help her exit the bed and then watch her sometimes. So, but Owen was kind of like that too. And he's really, he's fine. So again, I guess he learned how to, you know, he learned how to regulate his sleep and self-soothe. But it just took him till he was like 15. Oh my gosh. I love hearing that. I I love hearing that. And I, um, I feel like I have been along for a lot of those stories about the night terrors and then the nighttime fears, but I didn't know as much about like the last few years. And so it's so interesting to follow that, follow that through line. Well, it's funny when something is such a part of your life, like one kid's tendencies or weaknesses or whatever, and then when that goes away, there's like, there's just nothing to talk about. Cause you don't even, for a while, you don't even notice it's different. And then one day you're like, wait, what is the thing I used to do every day that I don't do? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Uh, drag my kid out of bed and then have a tantrum in the morning because we're all late. And I don't yeah. do that anymore. That doesn't happen. It's not part of my life anymore, but it like took me a few minutes to figure out that was what was different. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's gotten way, way better. And now I've just got the one hanger on the one hard to get out of bed kid. I'm that laughing so much at that. Like the, the like, like I'm picturing like a like zombie Clara kind of like yeah. pulling her. <laughs> remember like when you were told sometimes, and I don't know if you ever did this, but I remember um, reading, like if you had a really sleepy baby who wouldn't stay awake to nurse, you were supposed to flick the bottom, the, the soles of their feet. Oh, I, I think I did. Yeah. I think I have heard that. Sometimes I've actually thought about flicking <laughs> the soles of her feet. Yeah. Well, My mom will correct me if I'm telling this story wrong, but I'm pretty sure that when my brother was that age, we had two solutions. One was we had two big dogs and we let the dogs run down the hallway and jump up on his bed. And they were actually like (laughs) they had a command. They were friendly. Of course, they weren't going to hurt him, but they would jump up and like lick his face. That was one solution. And then we also had a spray bottle of water that we were able to spray on my brother I to wake him up. Okay. Love that. I might be wrong. Maybe the spray bottle was for dog behavior. Maybe but the I'm, spray bottle was for the dog. And the joke was that it was for your brother. But I could I, see it being one. I, I, yeah. I mean, it would work. Maybe. I don't know. I, I remember, remember my that. mom dressing me. I might have mentioned <laughs> that recently. Like, I remember being way too old. And the reason I remember being way too old for this is because I was wearing like 
not a bra yet, but like the version, like the undershirt version mm-hmm. of a bra that I remember my mom made me start wearing it like, I don't know, fourth grade or something. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom trying to get me into it because I wouldn't, I was like just completely asleep, asleep. Yes. It's completely so asleep. And like, oh, and I wore long johns because I wore, I lived up in the UP and I walked to school. So like you had to be dressed really warmly. And so my mom's trying to help me like, like she's basically physically stuffing me into my long johns and and she's muttering under her breath. Like, this is ridiculous. I blah, blah, (laughs) whatever it was, but I still remember that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not pleasant, but it is, it does. It's very typical for kids to be really bad. Some kids to be really bad at getting themselves up. Right. And I'm just I'm laughing, thinking about all the moms who have trouble getting their little kids to go to bed at night. And then they're thinking, oh, great, that I would turn around and like have the same kind of emotional labor that goes into getting them out of bed in the morning when I spent the first like four years trying to get them to go to sleep at night. That's funny. Well, when they get older, you get it on both ends. They don't want to go to bed and they don't want to get up. Yeah. Yeah. They'll find all kinds of reasons to stall at night and then they'll find all kinds of inability to wake up in the morning. So. Just in case all you younger moms out there thought that your sleep woes would be over when your kids slept through the night. Just something to look forward to. (laughs) Okay, Uh, I have one more and it is about little Reed, who's 11 now. And listener, I mean, gosh, when we started this podcast, I think he was newly five or turning five when we started this podcast. So, you know, longtime listeners have heard all of this, but um just a very, very inflexible young kid preschool through, you know, it's, this one has been more gradual. It's not like the Isaac and Allegra where it's a a switch flips. This is a much more gradual, but the intense years would have been five, six, seven. Um, Inflexibility looks like a lot of things. And I know we have a lot of listeners with kids with this, with this struggle for Reed. One of the biggest triggers was um, expecting a plan and having it change at the last minute, especially if that involved fun. So plans getting canceled or like arriving somewhere and it being closed or having to adjust like, you know, we thought we were going to order pizza for dinner, but for a variety of reasons, we decided we're going to go out for burgers instead. It doesn't matter how great the burgers are. It's the, it's the removal of the thing he thought was going to happen. And again, I, I've told many of these stories on the show. Um, but I'll just tell an anecdote from just the other day, which was another one of these moments where it's like, oh my gosh, this is like such a game changer. We went to, let's see, I told, we picked Allegra up at her like camp thing. And then I told them I was going to take them to the downtown library where we had been once this summer already. So we knew it's like, we knew it's COVID rules and we knew it was back open. We were going to go to the downtown library and we went and we parked and we walked around and it was closed and they close at two on Tuesdays and we hadn't known. And, you know, He's 11, so he's not going to crumple into tears, but he he could still like be pretty like it's almost like he demands a he demands a refund on life. It's like it's like like, we're not going to do this this? today. Then we have to come back tomorrow and he'll still get a little bit like that, even at 11. And I just kind of looked at him and he took it. He took it really well. And I said, well, we'll go to the little branch library that's by our house on the way home. And he kind of just like took it in stride. And then we walked around the corner and there's this new space called, it's called the Crafters Library. I'm very intrigued by this. And it's like a pop-in craft studio where you can go and pay by the hour and use all their cool like cry cut machines and like 3D printers and like these cool like contraptions. Or you can bring your own, they have sewing machines, you can bring your own fabric and sew, or you can do classes there or you can buy craft supplies. And I had been eyeing it and thought it looks really cool. I said, oh, well, let's go around the corner to that place. 
So we're now we're hyping up for this place, which looks really cool. And I'm telling the kids about it. And I'm totally doing that mom thing I shouldn't do, which is getting them all hyped up. We walk around the corner and it is also closed on Tuesdays. So now it's like not even the replacement thing for the library is can we do that? And I just again, I kind of watched his face and like he of course, the kids were disappointed. They were all disappointed, but he was appropriately disappointed and not like out um, out of his body disappointed. And that just mm-hmm. represents a ton of personal growth for him. And it was just a time in my life where I felt like I was, my hands were tied because if I didn't, if I didn't set clear expectations for how the day would go, he didn't do well with that because like a lot of kids, he, he did well knowing what to expect. But if I set clear expectations and then things changed, it was even it worse. Was really hard. And so that was right. years of my life. And you know what? I am not a very flexible person myself. I, he gets this from me and I, I have a lot of empathy for it. Um, and so it's just been very, it's, I'm like so proud of how far we've come. And I know there's probably a lot of moms listening with similar kids. And sometimes I think therapy helps. Sometimes it's a sensory thing. Sometimes it's a spectrum thing. Like I, I believe that all of those things can contribute and kind of overlap. And so I could have probably benefited even with some additional tools and support in the five and six range. And sometimes when listeners write to me about that, I've said that I'm like, I didn't, I I didn't end up seeking help for him, but looking back, I definitely could have benefited from it. And so could he have. So if that gives anybody the permission, if you're wondering, if you feel like you might get some support from some kind of like counseling or just some, like a toolbox of tools, um, they were some pretty hard, hard years, but we didn't. And we muddled through and, you know, he will probably never be the most flexible kid. But man, is it cool to see him being like, well, that stinks, but oh, well, like that's just never right. a reaction I would have ever gotten from him. Well, when you're talking about um, that flexibility or lack of flexibility and how you also have the same tendency, it's like when their kid is too much like you, it's like compounds the issue because you're already solving for yourself. So you're trying to set up your day to be predictable for both him and for you. Yeah. Uh Because that helps you and him. And then when things go the way you expected that, but he didn't, or, you know, there's just so many ways that can go wrong and you could go wrong on the other end too. Like if you were more like go with the flow, but you also had a super go with the flow kid, are you just like flowing in opposite directions? Are you both just like floating all over the place? I can see how sometimes having um, opposite personalities is a challenge. And sometimes having very similar personalities is also a challenge. Yeah. Yep. Well. Well, this was fun. I feel um, I feel proud of us and our kids. Not that Me we too. can take credit for all these transformations. No, in not fact, at all. we really can't. We really. But I do can't. think we've both been pretty good at waiting stuff out, and I think uh-huh. that that's probably the takeaway. Like, there's really not very little you can do to force. You can help and support them. You can come up with workarounds. Um, and of course, if there's a behavior issue that really needs addressing, you can address it. But so much of the stuff that's just inborn, that's just like who they are in the moment, like you kind of just have to wait it out and just make your life as, as workable mm-hmm. as you can in the meantime. Um, yep. because I don't think it's always very effective to try to push yeah. back too hard. Yeah. And I think sometimes, um, sometimes it's as simple as expecting a phase to be over just a little sooner than is realistic. You know, like we expect a baby to sleep through the night at five months, but it takes many of them a year, a year and a half or two years. We expect ta- tantrums to end at three and it takes some kids till five or six. So like it's almost like we're given a we're given an average or a median age at which kids, quote unquote, should 
be growing out of these phases. And we take that very seriously to heart. Right. And often we, we know it's like learning to read or potty training or any of these things. Like it's such a wide range of normal. And that patience is really hard as a parent, but it's also, I find it just as gratifying to have a kind of late bloomer, whether that's with shyness or inflexibility or playing independently. I feel as proud of my late bloomers as I do my you know, precocious kids because it feels hard one for all of, for all of us. Right. So sometimes it's just a little bit of like add a year or 18 months to whatever you thought would be and, and then reevaluate. And like you might find that sure enough that like you did move through that phase. It just took a little longer than you thought. Yep. And then the relief is so palpable. Yes. A good feeling too. <laughs> it yeah, is, it is. All right. Well, this was fun. Thanks for listening, everybody. And just a reminder that we did not do our Voices interview for July last Friday since it was kind of a holiday weekend. So coming up this Friday, you will hear me chat with a woman from the Red Cross about disaster preparedness in the home. Sounds scary and serious. Actually, a really cool, very actionable conversation. So as we head into wildfire season and hurricane season and year-round house fire season, as she reminded me that um, we all are, we all have some things to do around the house just to prevent things like house fires. Um, There's some really actionable things that you can do um, really easily with your kids and on your own to feel a little bit more prepared. So that's an interview coming up this Friday. So look for that. And Megan, this was fun. This was really, really fun. We will talk to you all soon. The Mom Hour is supported by partners like Erica. Erica is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug when they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. Erica was built by a dad of three boys who saw that teens themselves were really becoming self-aware to the risks of social media, and he wanted to help them self-regulate. Erica works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts, or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes.